0: Good morning, and welcome to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan, and this morning, we welcome the new CEO of BBB Serving Western Ontario, Jennifer Matthews, as co-host. Jennifer, welcome aboard.
1: Thanks, Jim. I'm really looking forward to sharing time with our listeners and with representatives of BBB-accredited businesses. This radio program and podcast is just one way that BBB provides information that helps consumers make informed choices about products and the services that they're seeking,
0: Yeah, over the years, the program has presented dozens of business owners, executives, and representatives on quite a variety of topics that inform consumers and help develop trust in the marketplace. And of course, September is back to school, and in the final portion of the program, we're going to have some information for college students that will help avoid being scammed out of money that they need for tuition and school supplies. And with the arrival of September, we know we will soon be switching from cooling heating and our HVAC system we hope will keep up.
1: And to help guide us through the services we should consider and and perhaps some of the questions we should ask a contractor, we welcome Jamie Donaldson, owner of Donaldson Heating and Air Conditioning Inc. Good of you to join us, Jamie.
2: Thank you, Jen. Looking forward to helping you guys uh, share some information.
1: Great. Well, let's get started. What are some of the things we should be doing on a regular basis to maintain our heating and air conditioning system?
2: There's two things that a, a homeowner should be doing on a regular basis to make sure their system's working well. Uh, first and foremost is uh, making sure that the air filter's clean. Uh, we get an abnormally high volume of calls, both during heating and cooling system, where the cause of the, the call is directly related to a dirty filter. So in general, most furnaces are going to have three different sizes of filters. Uh, one inch should be changed every month. Uh, four inch should be changed every, inch should be changed every six months to a year
0: you mentioned the different sizes but there are different grades of of filters as well what what merit is there in some of those um, higher end filters
2: the biggest difference Jim on filters and and the the grades that are in it really comes down to the media that's within the filter so you get everything from uh, what looks like a fiberglass mesh up to a fairly thick fabric uh, the biggest difference between them is uh, what they call a MERV grade. Um, and the MERV rating is it tells you how fine the particulate is that it's going to capture. But things like the fiberglass really shouldn't be used on any of the newer style of furnaces. They have a different type of heat exchanger on them, and they won't capture enough of the debris in order to protect and extend the life of the filter. Beyond that, most filters are going to be about a MERV 8 or a MERV 10. Uh, Most 1-inch filters will be a MERV 8, most 4 or 5 will be a MERV 10 or a MERV 11. You can get as high as a MERV 16, which is very similar to a HEPA filter. But you have to be careful as you get a higher grade filter that it's going to restrict airflow through your furnace. And if it restricts the airflow too much, you may actually damage the furnace and shorten the life. second thing I would recommend is to check the batteries on your thermostat at least once a year. And I normally recommend doing that when you're switching. Uh, from either heating to cooling or cooling to heating.
1: Okay. Um, when should we look at replacing our HVAC system with a newer system? And and if we're in the process of doing that, what are the choices we would be presented?
2: The average life of a furnace or air conditioner now is about 15 years. Um, some of the older systems used to last longer, but their efficiency was significantly less. Uh, newer systems, they're built much more efficient, but the way they do that is by creating thinner heat exchangers it allows us to transfer the heat better. Because of the thinner heat exchangers, though they don't last quite as long, and we want to make sure that we get them changed out before they become a hazard to our home or to our health. Uh, So generally around the 13, 14 year mark is a time when people should start considering or at least planning for replacement and absolutely have somebody in every year which will guide them and give them direction on when it does become time to do something.
1: So Jamie, as we enter September here, there's probably going to still be some warm days. But when we make that switch, uh, that seasonal switch, are there any steps we should take with our air conditioner? Like, should we cover it? Or what would you suggest? There's
2: different approaches to that within the industry. It's kind of a funny question because you could ask 20 different people. You're going to get 20 different answers and reasons why as far as covering goes. For the most part, when you're shutting down your AC, generally speaking, it's a great time to, like I said, check the batteries on the thermostat. It's also a great time to get away from it a little bit and check uh, the batteries on your carbon monoxide detector and also check the back of the carbon monoxide detector and make sure that it's not expired. Most of them last anywhere from four to 12 years, and you want to make sure that it's active and good. As far as the AC goes, the best recommendation I can give you is to make sure that you you hose it down. Uh, You want to make sure any debris is, is washed off of the top, off of the bottom if you can access it, and definitely take a hose and wash the coils down. Uh, beyond that, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, my personal opinion on covers, I don't believe in them. Uh, the idea of a cover is to protect the top of the unit, to keep debris out of the base of the unit. Debris, whenever it breaks down, it becomes acidic. It's going to rot the metal out of the bottom. Uh, the top, if you have snow land on it or sitting on it, it's potentially going to scratch the paint on top, which again, is going to shorten the life a little bit. The drawback with a cover, though, is if you put it on too early or leave it on too late, it holds the moisture against the metal of the unit. So as much as, yes, it protects from snow, it's not 100% waterproof. It wicks the moisture up, and that moisture will actually encourage rusting as opposed to preventing it. So for me, you're better off just once or twice a year, put a little bit of turtle wax on the top of the unit. That'll protect it from any scratches. And if you're replacing the AC, look for something with a plastic base on it. That plastic base isn't uh, susceptible to corrosion.
1: There've been a lot of changes in heating systems over the years. What are some of the different types of systems that we have available? So furnaces, gas-fired
2: furnaces is the most predominant one that's out there. It accounts for about 95% of what's in the market. Uh, inside of gas-fired furnaces, you have different firing rates. So single-stage, two-stage modulating. Uh, And really, a firing rate just determines on a little bit on efficiency, but more importantly, the comfort within the house. And secondly, is around the blower motor. Uh, There's two different types of blower motors. There was three. The third one's been excluded from manufacturing by the government. Uh, So we use ECM motors, but variable speed motors have a lot more efficiency within the house and can do a lot more with airflow. Outside of furnaces, we're seeing more and more people transition to -to air-to-air heat pumps. Uh, like ductless split systems, uh, we're seeing a lot of people, especially in townhomes, um, transferring over to ductless heat heat pumps. Uh, with those units, they'll operate down to in some cases minus thirty five, and still produce heat for the home. And it's a lot more efficient than electric baseboards.
1: Great um, humidifiers. Are they built into some of today's furnaces, or is this generally an add-on feature?
2: Humidifiers are an add-on. Uh, they typically sit on the ductwork beside the furnace. Uh, When it comes to humidifiers, it's rare that most homes actually need it now. So a lot of cases today, we're actually taking humidifiers out and not putting them in, but each home's a little different. So it's best to ask somebody that knows uh, what they're considering.
0: Jamie Donaldson is the owner of Donaldson Heating and Air Conditioning Inc., an accredited business with the Better Business Bureau. And you can look for them in the BBB directory under HVAC. And it's time now for a short break.
1: When we return, we'll talk about options that add comfort, convenience and safety to your HVAC
0: system. And we're back. I'm Jim Swan. And with me today is the new CEO of BBB, serving Western Ontario, Jennifer Matthews.
1: And our guest this morning is Jamie Donaldson, owner of Donaldson Heating and Air Conditioning. So, Jamie, can you talk to us a little bit about heat recovery systems? Can an HRV be added to an existing system? And if so, what are the advantages?
2: unlike humidifiers which like I said we've seen being phased out HRVs is something that we're seeing more and more uh, is needed within a home Uh, an HRV a heat recovery ventilator uh, basically it exchanges the air that's inside of the house for the air that's outside of the house and in the process it captures the heat that you've already paid to put into your home and transfers it into the air coming in so that the warm air going out heats up the cool air coming in The idea of it is to continuously give us a a feed of fresh air into the house. Uh, With the houses having a system similar to a Ziploc bag, we want to constantly be exchanging the air within the home. Uh, During the winter, that helps to address some of the moisture issues. So most common cause or most common symptom we see is a, a band of moisture across windows in homes that sits at the bottom six to eight inches. And that band of moisture is caused from too high humidity in the house. HRVs will reduce the humidity and constantly give you a feed of fresh air, um, helping to lower the VOCs, the the compounds that are within the air that we're trying to clean out.
1: So earlier on, you touched a little bit um, on the life cycle of a carbon monoxide, a CO detector, you sort of four to 12 years to be replaced. Can you just talk to us a bit about what the sources of carbon monoxide are and what can we do to prevent hearing that alarm go off?
2: So, carbon dioxide is created by any combustion of fuel. Um, it can be literally anything. If it burns, it can create carbon dioxide. Candles, wood, uh, gas appliances, uh, propane stoves. Um, like I said, anything that that creates a flame is going to release carbon dioxide as a as a side effect. We've seen situations where even leaving the garage door open while you're warming up your car in the morning, if the Main garage door is closed, it can put carbon dioxide into the house. So it's really important that we're careful around anything that combusts. Uh, if you're using a stove, make sure that the vent is turned on. Um, make sure that your heating and your uh, water heating equipment gets checked on a regular basis to make sure it's safe. And um, be consciously aware if we're going to warm up our car to make sure that we're removing it to the laneway or at least leaving the door open.
1: And what is the recommendation for placement of those um, carbon monoxide detectors within the home?
2: You should have one on every level that there is a living area. Um, absolutely. The building code requires that there's one up in, the, in the, uh, the sleeping area. So typically it's located in the hallway outside of the bedroom doors. Uh, but you should have one on the main floor and you should have one on the basement. I've always recommended to people when you're looking for a carbon monoxide detector, you want to look for a brand that is well-recognized, something that's going to have a 10 to 12-year life expectancy on it, and ideally something that has a digital display on it. The digital display costs a little bit more to do, but most carbon monoxide detectors are not going to trigger until there's six 60 or 80 parts per million within the house. At that point, over time, you can get very sick. So if you have a digital display, most people, it just fades into the background, but your mind will pick up if it adjusts. So if you start seeing one, two, three, four show up on it, it's time to have someone come in and take a look.
1: Great. If we have a breakdown to our system at this time of the year, how long would it take to have someone come out and service it?
2: Currently, being in September, we're between seasons. Uh People aren't really using their ACs much and furnaces haven't started much. So most HVAC companies, ourselves included, could get out there very quickly. We do recommend that you turn on the furnace at some point in time during the September year, understanding it's not needed, but it's a great time to ensure it's working. That first cold snap, when we get a minus degree temperature during the day, when it hits minus five, minus 10 at night. Our phones get very busy and most companies end up being booked a week out and you're waiting a week with no heat. If you do it now and there is a problem with your furnace, you've got time. If we need to order a part, if you need to get a component, and if you need to replace it, you have time to get that done before you absolutely need the equipment.
0: So is this a good time of year then to have that annual inspection done, Jamie?
2: It's a great time of year to have it done. It uh, It's cool enough that we're not going to overheat the house by using it. Um, you can open up the windows to cool things down after we've done our tests and it allows us to come in and make sure it's safe and and uh, it'll create a healthy environment for your family.
0: Jamie, can you just talk a little bit about overall budgeting for maintenance and uh, our uh, heating system? You said that we need to replace it perhaps every 10 or 15 years. So should we be budgeting and setting aside and preparing for that? And and how much should we reasonably Expect to budget on an annual basis to maintain our systems. So we have a
2: general rule of thumb, and and one of the things that we talk to about people—it's not just about the heating system within a home, but taking care of your home in general. Uh, One of the recommendations we have is that whatever the price of your home was when you purchased it, or whatever it would be currently, every year you should set aside between two and three percent of the value of your home, and that should go into a fund to help offset the cost of upkeep on your home not just a furnace air conditioner roofing windows any plumbing things it's a good habit to get into with regards to heating and air conditioning systems uh, like i said they need to be replaced about every 15 years some are less you'll get 10 12 years out of them some are more you'll get a little closer to 20 off of them but in general 15. for budgeting purposes systems will typically sell anywhere from around the nine thousand dollar mark to i've seen some as high as 17 eighteen but in general you're going to be looking nine to twelve. as far as maintenances go you should absolutely have a maintenance done every year uh on the ac it's important but on the furnace it's very important and it must be done on the furnace for safety and air conditioning and furnace maintenance annually is going to cost you 160 to 180 dollars a year
0: jamie you've provided us with some Really good information, and uh, we now start to feel a little bit ready for the winter season coming up. Thanks for being with us this morning, Jamie. Thank you. Our guest this morning was Jamie Donaldson, the owner of Donaldson Heating and Air Conditioning, Inc., an accredited business with the Better Business Bureau, and you can look for them in the BBB directory under HVAC.
1: And after the break, some tips on back-to-college scams so you don't learn the hard way.
0: Welcome back to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swann, and I'm here with co-host Jennifer Matthews, who is the CEO of BBB Serving Western Ontario. Jennifer, you mentioned earlier that this radio program podcast is an extension of what BBB does on a daily basis.
1: It really is, Jim. I've been in this role for about six weeks now, and as I become more familiar with the work that BBB does, what occurs on a day-to-day basis and how we support the BBB vision and mission, I'm learning it just really never stops. Accredited businesses adhere to the standards of trust and support the research and the sharing of information that helps our consumers and businesses alike avoid scams. And uh, For instance, a recent article available on the BBB.org website has some great information for college and university students, uh, helping them avoid scams.
0: Yeah, the scammers are always out there, it seems.
1: They are. And according to the most recent scam tracker risk report, adults that are between the ages of 18 and 24 reported the highest median losses, which is about $150. And many of the scams did take place online.
0: So um, how do these scammers work, Jennifer?
1: As we all know that return to campus at this time of year has a number of question marks concerning COVID-19 policies. With things changing day to day, scammers are taking advantage of that unknown or changing information landscape. They might send emails that request personal information to verify that the student has received COVID-19 vaccinations, or they could send an email or a text containing a link that might ask you to click for instructions it will then ask you for a username and password, which is a bit of a phishing scheme. Once they have that username and password, they can get into your account and all the information that you have provided to that school, the college or the university and go from there.
0: Well, what are some of the other tips for students or parents of students who are starting school, Jennifer?
1: So often this is the time where students are looking to start with their own credit card for the first time. It's quite tempting for them to want that, that freedom and that ability to charge something to a card, but it actually can lead to problems down the line, even if legitimate. So some of the other issues are that these offers could be phony, and all they are looking for is to pull out personal information. They'll set up a credit card, all right, but it'll be the scammers who end up spending with it. So research. make sure you research the card, the um, institution offering the card and the banking institution linked to it. And another good idea is to check out the BBB tips on credit card scams that we offer.
0: And of course, that can be found at BBB.org. Uh, besides the first credit card, this is often the first time a student will be living away from home, too.
1: It is. It's... A time when they're looking for that apartment, and it's really hard not to jump on a convenient apartment close to campus, especially when looking at it cost-wise. If it's almost uh, too good to be true, rent-wise, perhaps it is. Also, just remember not to hand over your credit card information online uh, to lock in that great spot until you've seen it in person. And the same is true for ads of other students looking for roommates as well.
0: Another thing is uh, the cost of post-secondary education. So. When grants or scholarships are offered uh, online, uh, that really gets students' attention.
1: It can. I have three in post-secondary education, and am very clear on the costs of that. <laughs> if you get a, uh, if the call that you get comes from a company offering to reduce loan payments or offering offering a sizable, hefty grant, do some research before you share any information with that company. Search their name online. Check out reviews. Uh, Don't forget that our BBB.org website can help with review complaints and uh, review what feedback has come from other people who've encountered this institution. Contact your school's financial department as well for advice and help with financing your
0: education. And of course, all of this applies whether you're attending classes in person or, or online.
1: That's right, and as tech-savvy as young people can be uh, in today's online world, many of those who've been scammed were duped by online purchase scams. Again, the best advice we have is to check the BBB scam tracker.
0: Well, we'll hope that everybody has a safe return to school, and that it's going to be scam-free. Jennifer, it's been good to welcome you on board as co-host of the Ask BBB radio program and podcast, and. I really look forward to working with you in the, the weeks and the months ahead.
1: Thanks so much. I really look forward to working along with you and to meeting and chatting with the accredited business owners and representatives who share their time and expertise with us on Ask BBB.
0: And that is our time for this morning's version of Ask BBB. To our listeners, you can contact us anytime on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at BBB Western O N T. And if you have a comment or a question or a guest suggestion, just tweet us at hashtag AskBBB. And thanks for listening this morning. I'm Jim Swan.
1: And I'm Jennifer Matthews.
0: Remember to ask BBB,
1: And start with trust.